Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I want to echo what, um, what Tom said. We do so much appreciate you men and women who serve, have served, you family members who support those in your families who serve. Thank you. Uh, we don't take that lightly or for granted. I also want to just personally thank many of you. Many of you who were here last week know that uh, Mike Lively had to step in for me kind of at the last minute. My mother passed away on October 29th uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, we took her back to be buried alongside her husband. And um, she was 89, would have been 90 next week. And um, lived a, a wonderful life. A lot of things had been happening to over the last few months, and um, it's not easy. I don't, I don't want to pretend to you that it is, but I know she's good, you know. Um, I don't have any question about that. My mom was a great witness for our family. Uh, she took us every Sunday, whether we wanted to go or not, <laughs> and there's a great lesson there for all of us, I think, right there. And, um, you know, one of the things that most amazed me about her was how she was, uh, she was really, as I've come now to put words to it, a doer of the, of the word and not, uh, not just one who talked about it. Uh, my mother was, uh, played piano for a men's Sunday school class for 40 years. Uh, she was the treasurer or secretary of a, her Sunday school class for 40 plus years. Um, I remember because of that men's class, they would sing on Easter morning. Uh, for a sunrise service there in the town we grew up in. And I tell you what, my brother and I never got out of getting up early <laughs> for those Easter sunrise services. And in fact, it seemed like sometimes the sun was rising awfully early, a lot earlier than I thought it should be. Um, but, you know, she, she kept the, the archives of that church and the membership and all kinds of things. And um, she was just a an incredible woman to my brother and myself, and um, we miss her, uh, but she's good. I, I'm confident of that. Uh, it's us that, that are behind who have to keep on keeping on. Um, I look forward to seeing her again someday because there's no question in my mind where my mom is. So I want to thank many of you for your, your, your prayers, your um, support, who knew about it, um, and um, just um, celebrate what God has done. And, you know, it's, it's I think, really appropriate. Um, we made a decision a while back here at Gateway that on the second Sundays we would celebrate servanthood as one of our values. And um, we do that because we, we do believe it, it, it is important. I shared with our membership class earlier this morning that uh, servanthood is not just because the church needs us to do something, but because Jesus Christ loved us and died for us, and it's our way of giving back, and it's how he, he grows us to become more and more like himself. It's one of the primary ways he does that. And we talked about this a month ago on the second Sunday in a video and all that kind of stuff, and several dozen of you signed up, and we are so grateful, and yet I, I wouldn't be satisfied, I won't be satisfied, if that's even a fair way of saying it, to all of us have our place of serving. Because we cannot follow Jesus, 
who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. We cannot follow Jesus and live for ourselves. We have to live for others. We have to serve. And certainly most of our serving is going to occur beyond the walls of the church, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. But a lot of it can and should happen here. And I hope many of you will continue to pray on that and think on that. We've got our team will be out in the lobby and you can talk to them this morning if you want to find out more about that. I mean, to me, it's just kind of like it all flowed together as, as I think back on my mom and the kind of person she was and the witness she had for us, for my brother and I, that serving wasn't an option. It's what followers of Jesus do. And, and we believe that as a church. That's why it's one of our three values. But what's more, we, we encourage you in that. Not, again, not because, gosh, the church needs some things done. No. That may be true, but more than that, Jesus wants to work in your life. And there are some things he, he will not do until and in the midst of your serving. There's some things you will not experience apart from that. And that's who Jesus was. So I want to encourage you to think about that and go out and talk to some folks after the service. Uh, you'll be, I think you'll be really glad. I'm, I, and finally, I'm grateful to Mike Lively for stepping in last week at, at really kind of the last minute to take my place um, as we were wrapping up a series, A Wonderful Life, about living generously. And, and if you were here last week, you know Mike talked about being generous with love, sharing the love of Christ with others, because, because God has been so generous to us with love. We sang about that this morning in so many of our songs. In the Bible, that Mike, one of the verses Mike quoted last week is 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because God loved us first. In fact, the implication in the Bible is that apart from God sharing his love with us, we wouldn't have the capacity to love. And yet, because he has loved us, we can, even if we don't know where it comes from. Before we were born, he chose to love you. In the midst of your life, he continues to love you. And when you do something wrong, he loves you. When you fail, he loves you. When you're struggling or hurting or battling disease, he loves you. When you're celebrating and, and things are good, he loves you. And he promises to love you for the rest of time. And honestly, there's nothing you or I can do to stop him from loving us. You can't be bad enough, believe it or not. And if you're a parent, you, you may have some sense of that because sometimes our kids don't do what we want. And it may not mean we're happy with what they've done, but we still love them. And that, that love of God is so true. You are incredibly special to God. You yourself. But you and I need to remember this. So is the person seated to your left. Turn to your left. Look, who's to your left? That person's special to God. Turn to your right. That person is special to God. Stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> there are no exceptions. L let me tell you something. If you're an atheist with us this morning, 
You're special to God. God loves you. If if you have done some things you are really ashamed of and you can't imagine anyone ever loving you again, I'm here to tell you, God loves you. We as human beings, we may struggle sometimes to live out that love. And as followers of Jesus, it is our goal to live it out for all. But with God, there is no exception. He loves. He doesn't just love the people in the church, for heaven's sake. He loves the folks who won't darken the doors of the church. He loves them. He doesn't give up on them. He, he, he cares about every single one. Your neighbor, your family, your coworkers, your boss, your kids, your parents. People you haven't even met. And those of us who who are followers of Jesus, we know even more. We know not only does he love us, but because we have welcomed him into our life through Christ, now our sins are forgiven. And we have freedom, the power of the name of Jesus to live life to its fullest, to experience a freedom That's not our own. But here's the thing. God does not love you and me simply so we can bask in it. I mean, that's a part of it. But it's given for so that we then can love others. Just as as John said in 1 John 4.19. Because everyone that you know needs to be loved. If you feel that in any way, at any point in your life, I guarantee you, there are no exceptions. There are some people who have been really hurt and they've covered it up really deep. But there is not a person you or I know, have seen, met, or encountered whom God does not love deeply, just as they are. I mean, he doesn't say, okay, I will love you when you start acting nice. I will love you when you stop doing that thing. Now, that's conditional love. He offers you and me and all people unconditional love. There is nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to make it more or less. And Jesus came to demonstrate and prove that love, emptying himself as the eternal son of God to become flesh and blood, dying on a cross for us. In fact, Paul says, dying for us while we were still sinners, while we were messed up, while we were far from him, he took it upon himself. And Jesus invites his disciples then and now to follow him on this this journey of sharing this incredible good news through what we've come to know as the great commandment, which Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then the great commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so as, as, as Mike reminded us last week, those of us who are followers of Jesus are called by Jesus himself to go and love our neighbors, to help them become disciples of Jesus. And, 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 and so this is really important. A growing, healthy follower of Jesus is one who invests in others. 
It is unhealthy when I'm only concerned with myself. It is immature when I only look after me, when I am the sum and the, cr and the crux of my life. It is maturity when we look beyond ourselves. It is health. It is real love when we turn outward to help others become disciples. But, but it's not enough just for others to become disciples because if, if others who become disciples don't learn how to help then those after them become disciples, then what we end up with is the last generation of Christianity. Does anybody think this is the, the, the first or the last generation? No, because someone came before you. Someone cared enough about you to help you discover some of these things about Jesus who invested in your life. And you and I are called to do the same. I, I, I really think in terms of that the, the great commission is to go and make disciples in effect who make disciples who make disciples. Reproduction is a sign of health. Only things that are dying stop reproducing. And so if your faith is growing, if, if it's important, if it's something you want to center your life on, which Jesus calls us to do, then... It involves helping others become disciples who reproduce. Historically, this has been called evangelism. Or the Greek word for that word can also be translated as gospel, which means good news. And for Christ's followers specifically, it's the good news of Jesus. The first four books of the New Testament tell the story of Jesus and are called gospels because each of them tell us of this incredibly good news of Jesus. Evangelism is telling others the good news about Christ. And, and it is good news because, one, it frees us from the, the sins of our past. That we don't have to carry them around anymore. We don't have to say, look how bad I am. It frees us from the sins of our past. But at the same time, it frees us from death to live life to its fullest in the future. So it, it takes care of our past and it aligns us and prepares us for an incredible future. And we are given that to share. D.T. Niles said evangelism is simply one beggar helping another beggar find food. See, there's no hierarchy in all this. There's not Christian non-believer. Christian non-believer. This is how God sees us. It's just that those of us who are followers of Jesus know something incredible. And we're called to share it with our brothers and sisters who don't. Here at Gateway, we like to think of this as reaching out to those disconnected from God with this good news of Jesus Christ. So that reach is one of our three strategies here, along with heal and grow, to help us recognize what God is calling us to do as a church, yes, but, but also as the church, wherever we are distributed during the week. We are the church gathered this morning, but we are the church distributed as we go out through the week where we are, in our families, in our homes, in, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Christianity is not about a bunch of rules to live to please someone. It is about a lifestyle of trusting in Christ that affects my daily living. And we believe that God raised up Gateway 
to be a gateway to faith for thousands across the Bay Area. We've already baptized over 150 this year, and we're offering another opportunity for you to be baptized again, as was mentioned earlier, next, next Sunday evening, if that's something God is putting on your heart. Some people think that, that this thing called, we call reach or evangelism is just something that the super-Christians do or the church staff does because that's what we pay you to do. And believe me, I've, I've heard that one. But let me tell you, there, there is nothing in God's Word that supports that. Nothing. Church staff is not here to do the ministry for you. Church staff is here to work alongside you so that we do the ministry. We are the church, not me. We, us, together. And we are called to do that. Jesus gave the great commandment and the great commission to all his followers. All. And a he doesn't try to make it hard or complicated. In fact, the beginning for each of us is simply to be a witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his followers, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, in other words, in your hometown, where you are right now. In Judea, in the surrounding area. In Samaria, well, that was the, the land of the heathen, so that was people you don't like and you don't want to associate with. And in fact, to the ends of the earth. Again, there's no, there's no place where it does not apply. But many of us experience evangelism, reaching out to others as being, at the very least, awkward. And for some, it's even been a bad experience because some of us have been confronted by Christians in an obnoxious way. They've done things that really shook our, our confidence in, in Christianity and the church. Or, or maybe we, we don't feel like we know what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to say. How am I going to do this? I feel inadequate, unprepared. Or maybe we feel like it could be embarrassing. I mean, what's, what's so-and-so going to think about me? That they might even consider me weird. We don't like to be seen as weird, do we, by those around us? It's kind of tough. Think about it in your own life. If you're a follower of Jesus... And if for you it feels uncomfortable or it feels awkward to reach out to others, what is it that's holding you back? I mean, right now, just think about it for a second. What is it, that, what is it about it that's hard for you? Well, let me say this. Rather than running from that awkward or that uncomfortable feeling, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this morning to push through it. Because often it is right there that we discover God using us to help another person experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It's trusting Jesus to find then in that, in that act of faith that our faith comes alive and even sizzles with excitement. If you, if you believe God loves people, we've sung it through this whole service, we've talked about it. If you believe God wants the best for them, he's not out to lightning bolt zap people. 
And you believe he wants to free all people for incredible joy in him. And you'll push through the awkwardness and reach out for the sake of helping others, loving others, to connect with Jesus. And there's a great story in John chapter 2. It occurs right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus that shows us folks who discovered this firsthand that it was worth trusting Jesus to step out. And, and it's, a, it's a story you may even want to share with people who don't believe it because it's a great tool. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John 2, or if you have a mobile device, go to the YouVersion, uh, Uversion Bible app and go to the live page. Or we've got the notes in the bulletin that you can pull out, and, and there's some blanks to fill in there and, and use. John chapter 2, we're going to get right at the first verse. He says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Jesus replied, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time hasn't come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, we need to know weddings in the time of Jesus were big deals. You, you think three or four hour moms of, of brides, you think three or four hour reception was big? They had seven days of wedding reception. Seven days. You think about that. Think about paying for that. <laughs> and to run out of wine before the celebration was over was, was embarrassing. It was considered rude. It would bring shame on the family. And so as Mary perceived that this was happening... She turns to her son Jesus, in whom she has known throughout his whole life from conception on, has been a miracle, believing that he can help, and instructs the servants to do whatever he tells you. So in verse 6 it says, Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. In other words, guys, Jesus turned somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water into wine. And not just the box wine. <laughs> I, I'm told. I, I, I honestly don't know. But this was the good stuff. The best. And he did this as the party was getting near the end. Verse 9 says, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everybody's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. In other words, Jesus reversed the normal order of things to give this party not only much more than they needed, but also the best of the whole celebration. Why? Why did he do that? What is he trying, in fact, to tell us about himself? Verse 11, the miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. If it told us nothing else, this miraculous event tells us of the incredible generosity of our God who gives us more than enough at just the right time, just when we need it most. Even if we've hit bottom or even if we're on a bad path that we don't even fully see, 
And the master of ceremonies, certainly, he did not know what was happening or about Jesus' intervention or that the celebration was about to become a bust. Yet God offers us, in those kinds of times even, salvation through Jesus Christ. And not just to barely save us, not just to get us across just a, a little small crevice, but to do so with more grace and more love than we could possibly imagine or ever need. That is what he gives us. And, and one aspect of this story is that the wine running out is a metaphor of the problems we face in our world, but that Jesus came to save us by going to the cross. But that time for the cross in Jesus' life had not yet come in John chapter 2. Jesus is just starting his mission. So instead, Jesus gives us a sign to what he is going to do through the, the wedding. In his book, Beyond Awkward, Bo Crescetto writes, In Scripture, wine is a common metaphor for sustenance, blessing, and wrath. Through the Old Testament, wine was given by God to sustain the Israelites and was closely tied with their obedience. Furthermore, the prophets used the imagery of wine to reveal God's eschatological, that's a $9 word, which just means the end times, used the imagery of wine to reveal God's eschatological blessing as well as his wrath being poured out. So Jesus wasn't just saving the party, as nice and good as that might seem. He is showing that he will save the world when his time comes. The water and the wine miracle is a foreshadowing of the abundance of his love that he will shed more than enough to cover our sins, to forgive us of our sins, to forgive the sins of those around us who are far from God even at this moment, and to release us from the punishment of death that our sin does deserve. His forgiveness is more than we need, and it is of the highest quality. And it's free. And it's forever. By using water from the ceremonial washing jars, Jesus is signaling that he will cleanse us through his blood, which, strangely enough, is the color of red wine. See, Jesus has come to save the day. And he, he has more than enough love and more than enough forgiveness to pour out on, on our world, whether folks know it or not, whether they accept it or not. No one at the party knew what Jesus was doing for them. But every one of them would benefit. Jesus turned around what, what would have become a failed party. And, and we need to believe this. One day he is going to turn around a sin-sick world with a new heaven and a new earth. And he offers this to all. He wants everyone to experience new life through him. This is incredible good news. But... There's, 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 there's one little detail here in this story that is really cool to me that brings you and me into it and shows us that, in fact, we have a role. We have a responsibility in the middle of all this. See, only the servants knew exactly what Jesus had done, and Jesus gave them the responsibility to take the water to the master of ceremonies. Jesus didn't take the water himself. He changed it. He transformed it. He could have taken it and said, look, I, I did this. But he didn't do that. Isn't that strange? He, he gave it the servants the opportunity. Imagine the trouble they would have gotten into of interrupting the celebration, bringing the master ceremonies water. He would have gotten angry. He would have said, what are you wasting my time with this? Jesus, though, knew something more had happened, and he expected them to be obedient 
in order to experience his miraculous gift. So the servants risk their reputation, maybe even their jobs, by obeying Jesus. Because, because they were in an extremely awkward position. But Jesus did not let them down. And here's the thing. Those servants, they had a front row seat for a miracle. No one else at the party knew what had happened, but the servants did. They got to see it happen. It happened in front of their eyes because they obeyed. They went forward. They shared what Jesus asked them to do that no one else would see. I want to tell you, in in Jesus' mission to bring the love of God to the world, he is entrusting the job, the responsibility of bringing the the water into the wine, the, the good news of what he has done to you and me. We're the servants. We're the ones that it could be really awkward if it doesn't work out. It could be really, we may feel really strange about it. It, He has given us the mission to bring the good news. But a bonus is we have the opportunity to see firsthand what God's doing. Now, we won't see it if we don't obey. We won't see it if we don't take the message. We won't, we won't see anything happen if we don't do anything. And so sometimes people say, well, nothing's happening in my Christian life. I don't experience anything. I don't see God do anything. And you have to ask and wonder, well, are you putting yourself in a position to see? Are you being obedient? Are you stepping out in faith? Are you acting that? Or are you settling for garbage? Are you settling for water when you could have so much more. We get to see lives miraculously change. And and, and we do. We see it here all the time. And it is so cool, but but it is only if we are obedient, even if it feels awkward. And yet here's the thing. If you and I do not believe that Jesus gives the best and the most abundant wine or changing the metaphor to forgiveness and healing and grace and love to hurting people, then odds are we will not risk our reputations for Jesus. We won't be willing to take a chance, stand in the gap. If we don't believe Jesus is the best gift we can give, then we will not be willing to pay the price to share that good news with others. We we won't. So just take a moment think, what do you really believe about Jesus? Because remember, what you really believe has to show itself in how you live. What do you really believe? Is it going to feel awkward? Yeah, it will. And some of us don't want to hear that. But I'm telling you that up front. For, for all kinds of reasons I've mentioned and, and, and more, it can and often does feel awkward to pay the price to share the good news with others, to tell the story of Jesus, of the impact he has had on our lives. But if we are intentionally seeking out God and, and we're, we're striving to spend time with him regularly, not one hour on Sunday, but throughout our week, we begin to sense and recognize when God is speaking into our lives, when he's opening a door for us to step through even an awkward moment. It is precisely at these awkward moments that God is preparing to open a big door and allow us into an amazing experience. 
And if we step through the awkwardness of the moment of, of being a witness for Jesus, it's then that we really do get to see Jesus work in another person's life. We experience the love of God working through us into another person. We see life transformation occurring. That doesn't happen if you stop at the awkwardness. It doesn't happen if you're content to just rock along. Faith is how you and I move forward, even when we don't know how things are going to go. And, and yet it is only by obedience and faith that we actually get to see God work. If you want to see God move, you want to experience him working in your life and through you, you have to enter into some awkwardness. And I hope that that right there doesn't stop some of you. I'm afraid it will. But I hope and I pray it will not. We, we feel awkwardness often because whether we think about it or not, we're kinda, it's kind of like breaking social rules. You know, we, some of us feel awkward just striking up a conversation with someone we don't know or we don't know well. Many of us feel awkward when we think about what we're about to do might make another person uncomfortable, no matter how well we know them. Why? Because we're often more focused on feelings versus facts. And many of us feel awkward when we're pointing people to truth in a way that challenges how they, they're living their lives. Deep down, I suspect most of us want to be socially accepted. Most of us want to fit in. Most of us want to be a part of the group. And yet sharing our witness, simply the, the story of what Jesus has done in our life and can do in theirs, can break one or more of these social rules. But... but Jesus told us that if we're going to follow him, we have to be his witnesses. We have to tell his story, especially as in the ways it's intersected with our story. But being a witness doesn't mean body slamming someone with a Bible or telling them they're going to hell if they don't put their faith in Jesus. Folks, there is a difference between being pushy or creepy on the one hand, and on the other hand, walking through an awkward moment that God has set up. So how can we do that in a practical way, prepare ourselves and work through those moments? Let me walk you very quickly here at the end through seven steps. They're in your, your notes at the bottom of the second page. First, we need to be clear about what God has done for us through the gospel. We need to know, in other words, God's story. I don't mean that we have to give a long, elaborate talk on salvation, but we do need to be able to speak about what God has done for us and for all people through Jesus Christ. Next, we need to know our story. And this is so essential, it's often overlooked, and in fact, this is the easy part. Because it is our story, it's my story, it's your story. And the beauty of my story is I already know it. I don't have to make anything up. I don't have to conjure anything. I don't have to remember. And no one else can argue about your story. No one else can say, you're wrong. That couldn't have happened. I know it happened. I lived it. I walked through it. And, and, but here's the thing. To help us, this is, this is just a, a helpful tool. Write your story down. Take five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes today. Write it down. Why? It helps get it in your mind. It helps you get concise. It helps you think through. And I've discovered when I've written my story down that sometimes I discover people and circumstances even more than what I thought. I see God's picture working in more ways than I imagined as I write this stuff down. 
So write it down. It's your story. You don't have to share it. You don't have to show it with anybody else if you don't want to. But you will gain clarity. First Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Third, once we know the gospel story and, and our story and how they've intersected, then we're ready to start praying for opportunities to witness to another person. And, and I'm going to talk more about that next week because it's really a big part of it. But what it's about is being intentional, looking for opportunities, looking for individuals that may be, haven't been in church in a long time, maybe have never believed or disconnected or had a bad experience. There are opportunities all around us if we will look for them. For now that we're ready to start watching, we, we discern if God has been setting up a moment with another person, with, with a particular person, maybe someone we're praying for, maybe not, to watch for the moments where God is working. If we've created the moment, if we've pushed something down somebody's throat, if we're trying to do it, it's probably just creating tension. And again, this is where prayer helps, to ask God, God, are you doing this or am I forcing this? Which leads to five, if God is behind it, then we want to push through the awkwardness to look for openness in the other person. Because here's the thing, what we often forget is that God has been working on this person from the first moment they came into existence. He didn't just suddenly realize they were there when you saw them. He has known them and loved them from the first moment they were. He knows their lives, he knows their story, and his grace has been working their lives from the, that first moment right up to the moment you are standing there with them. So often what we need to discern is if God is behind this particular moment. If we get a positive response or we get questions versus just shutting us down, and that's what most of us expect, move forward. But we do, don't we? We often think, well, nobody's going to want to hear it. They're, they're, they're not going to pay any attention. They don't want to. And I've, I've had that very thought, and I've, I've been reluctant, and I share something, and suddenly they come back and say, well, I was wondering about that. Or, but I have a question about that. Man, that's an openness. They're willing to talk about it. It doesn't mean everything's going to happen right then and there. But there's an opportunity for a conversation that you might not have even entered into if you hadn't sensed that there was something going on. Too often, we forget that God's been at work in subtle but powerful ways to bring this person to perhaps this very moment if we are watching. Now, six, if you sense real openness and a positive response, see if it's time to lead them in a prayer of accepting Jesus into their life. If they say they're ready, great. You will discover sometimes people are ready. They're waiting. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes they don't even want to get into the conversation. So back off. You're not here to be pushy. You're not here to be mean-spirited. But if they are ready, I've found often the easiest thing to do is pray out loud and invite them to pray with me, the words I pray. And there's no one prayer for this, okay? Just saying that up front. But an easy one to remember is one that Gateway Kids here uses for our summer kids club called the ABCs of Salvation. A, admit that I am a sinner in need of God. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And C, confess that Jesus Christ is Savior of my life and Lord. Savior of what has happened in the past and Lord for what will happen from here on forward of my life. And, and if somebody prays that, man, you have just witnessed a miracle. You have just brought the water to 
the, the master of ceremonies and seen something that maybe nobody else will see. And it is an incredible experience. And finally, we need to realize that it's God, though, that is saving the person, not you. And by that I mean, I don't have to take responsibility for the whole thing. I just need to be faithful in my part. Maybe I am going to be the one. But maybe I am one person in a long string of people, and it may be some time before they do their part. I'm not a failure, nor is the gospel. If a person doesn't roll over and immediately surrender their life to Christ... But what you're doing does matter. Let me tell you just here. On several occasions, Tony Campolo, author Tony Campolo, did an informal survey to see how people came to know Jesus. And I, as we wrap up here this morning, I want to do the same thing. You can raise your hand on any of these, okay? Not just, it's not just one. But if, if, if this has had a significant impact in your life, listening to Christian radio, raise your hand. If it really had a significant impact on bringing you to faith. Let me put it that way, bringing you to faith, Okay? Several of you raised your hands. If, if watching a Christian television show or movie had a significant impact on bringing you to faith, raise your hand. Several of you, okay. If listening to a sermon had a significant impact on bringing you to faith. Now, you don't have to do it because of me. <laughs> Several of you. Okay, now. If someone, another person, had a significant impact on you coming to faith, raise your hand. Now look, almost everybody. You see, we think it's about the preacher or it's, it's about saying the right things or it's about getting them connected when in fact, God says it's you. You are the instrument. You are, somebody else was that for you? And God is saying, hey guys, they did it for you so you can do it for someone else. Are you willing to do that? You didn't receive this gift for yourself just so you could hold it. You received it for a reason, to pass it on. You really are important, even if it feels awkward. And, and, and will you make mistakes? Sure you will. All of us do. But if we don't push through the awkwardness, we will never to discern where God is working and we may miss out on the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in another person's life, which is the most incredible thrill that exists because it is about being involved in changing a person's eternity. And there ain't no amount of money that will buy that for you. You have an incredible opportunity. Don't waste it. Our prayer team's going to be down here in a moment. If you want to talk with them, maybe you want to make that kind of a decision. Or maybe you need prayer to help somebody else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus and yet you didn't do it so we could be content. You sent Jesus to us so that you could send him through us to love others as, as we have begun to experience your love. Father, I, I, I admit, man, it feels weird sometimes. 
And sometimes people don't like it and they don't respond well. Or some, but sometimes, God, I've discovered that it's me. That it's me. That, that, that I am presuming what somebody else thinks or feels. And in that moment, I've really kind of pretended like you're not there and you don't have any role in all of this. And I ask for your forgiveness and my lack of faith. And pray that you would help us to have the faith to trust you, to step out, to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Be his witnesses. We'll see you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.